Hello, my name is Lenore Swiston, and I'm the host of Civically Speaking, but for this show, this is a very special show that will be happening, reoccurring, once a month, or as, or as once a month as we can have it, and this is called Behind the Curtain with David Curtin, and Behind the Curtain at City Hall with David Curtin, and what I mean by that is Behind the Curtain at City Hall with Councillor David Curtin. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Councillor Curtin, who's now going to take us behind the curtain at City Hall. David, over to you. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Lenore. And uh, yes, we are behind the curtain. Every month on your very show here, we're going to take people behind the curtain of what happens at City Hall, maybe at uh, other civic facilities, and of course, events. And today, we're going to start off by talking about one of the biggest events, I guess you could call it, that uh, happened uh, in uh, the city, and that was the event of well, surrounding November 9th, I, I think it's the best to say it's surrounding November 9th. It didn't uh, happen on September 9th or November 9th, uh, but uh, it, it certainly started maybe about a week before. And I'm, of course, talking about the huge dump of snow that the city of Saskatoon got on, on that particular day. What did the city do before that event? And what did the city do after that event and during that event? Well, to help me with that uh, tonight is uh, Pamela Golden-McLeod, the city's director of emergency management, who was very involved. And of course, another person who was very, very involved is Terry Schmidt, the general manager of transportation and construction uh, with the uh, city of uh, Saskatoon. So welcome to you uh, both. And thank you both uh, for being here. Pamela, I think I'll start with you. Uh, the reason I say it surrounds November 9th it must have been like a week before that we started hearing these uh, these uh, very scary forecasts that were coming in. What? When did you jump into action before November 9th? Well, you know, typically when there are storm events, we have a really good working relationship with Environment and Climate Change Canada. And we have a, um, a meteorologist who provides us regular updates and answers our questions and has a direct line into me and I have a direct line into her. And she started giving us some information on Monday. And typically when we get information from Environment Canada, I send it to our, you know, significant um, um, operational groups like roadways, fleet and support, like parks, like Saskatoon Light and Power, Saskatoon Water, and kind of give them a heads up. And one of the things we do is say, you know, any concerns. And if there is a concern, they share some information with EMO and we activate kind of the process. And typically when it comes to weather events, these um, other directors kind of chide me a little bit and say, Pam, we're in Saskatchewan, it's gonna snow, it's gonna be winter, you know, we've got this, this is what we do all the time. But it was interesting when I forwarded this one, um, my phone immediately lit up and everybody recognized very quickly and particularly roadways fleet and support had already started their planning for this event and already been in contact. So I think, um, you know, that was part of the process is we identified on Monday or Tuesday of that week and we started meeting and building a planning and an operational cycle from an EOC perspective on Tuesday and thinking about who we had to involve and how it had to work out. I remember reading an article about you in the in Star Phoenix and the University of Saskatchewan publication where you said that you do all of this planning for all of these events that you hope never happen. Yeah. So I want to I want to kind of get an idea of your mindset during this. Did you say okay in in your mind did you say okay we're going to start all of this planning but by god I hope it never happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know and the interesting thing in the EMO world is we have a saying and the saying is go big soon, go big fast. And so the idea is that you know what 
um, getting everybody together and start planning, we can always de-escalate. We can always scale down. We can always scale back. Mm. But it's far more difficult to scale up in the middle of an event. And so a lot of times, you know, we're hosting big meetings with people and then and then we, you know, update them and say, you know what, everything's going to be fine. Thanks for the great meeting. Thanks for planning with us. But those are actually good exercises for us for when the big events do happen. So that process is really helpful, even when we get, have to de-escalate quickly. But I find that particularly all of our um you know, city of Saskatoon staff who work in this process, when we send out that request, they're right on the ball for that. And they, you know, they, they want to be involved and they want to work together as a whole unit. One of the important phone calls that you made was to Terry Schmidt, uh, the, the general manager of transportation and construction. Mm-hmm. So Terry, you get that phone call. Uh, it's, it's probably kind of a sunny day. It's not, it's not an, you know, a foreboding day by any stretch of the imagination when you get that. Again, what goes through your mind and, and, and how quickly do you start to work on it? Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, we got the call uh, several days ahead of time and to start preparing for the storm and environment and climate change Canada was just uh, really great to work with, providing us with this information and working with Pamela's EMO team that we knew from the start and started tracking this system days ahead and looking at it on radar. This was going to be an event that we hadn't seen in some time already. So uh, crew started uh, getting the equipment ready uh, several days in advance, making sure uh, we had all the equipment ready to go, making sure material supplies and inventory was in place. We had sand and salt delivered and other de-icing materials, making sure all our diesel fuel tanks were full because there was going to be hundreds of pieces of equipment going. And uh, we wanted to also work with our vendors to have plans in place that we knew the roads were going to be tough. So getting materials into there as we were using them. So having all those plans in place and backup plans in place, we started on that days ahead of time, making sure our crews were ready to go and scheduled to go for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because this we knew this was no typical storm. Typically a storm we can respond to in three or four days. We knew that this was going to be all hands on deck, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Also our contractors, working with our contractors to ensure they were ready to go. They had all their equipment and crews ready to go. And uh, we already started working as well, too. We had some um, contracts in place for emergency work like this to bring contractors in. So we started engaging with those contractors as well to bring on additional equipment and, and men as needed to respond to the storm. While all of that was going on, I was campaigning. I was knocking <laughs> on doors. And, and in the last couple of days of the campaign, the plan was to get all the volunteers out and, uh, and deliver one last flyer. And I remember on that Sunday evening, it was about six or seven o'clock. I was delivering the last of the flyers, probably had another work, uh, another hour of, uh, of running to do. And I, well, I, the storm was already uh, smacking us uh, really hard. I really got a sense of what we were facing. And then I woke up the next morning, election day, which turned out to be a different kind of election day and it was stretched uh, uh, to the following Friday, November 13th. But, uh, and I, we didn't even go to the poll, ended up just helping people get out of their uh, driveways and the like. And, uh, and that's what everybody was doing the day after, or I guess the day of the storm that I, let's talk about it being the Monday. Cause that's the day everybody wakes up and all of a sudden realizes that everybody was right. We should, we're not going to be able to leave our homes for a while. Uh, Terry, You've got how many pieces? Do you have any idea how many pieces of equipment you had out there during just that day alone? Yeah, we do. I mean, um, 
the, the, our first response uh, getting out after the storm was there was a, there was quite a few vehicles stranded on some of our major roads. And so a lot of effort just went in for the first few hours, just getting some of that, uh, some of those abandoned vehicles off of the roads or equipment snowplow and, and crews could get onto the roads to start clearing them. So our, we kind of did things in two phases. We, we realized right away, this was no standard, you know, we'd been planning, this wasn't a standard response. Mm-hmm. So it was to get out all the equipment as quickly as we could to restore drivability on our priority streets first so that we could get the emergency services vehicles operating again and get emergency services going again. So we had about 125 pieces of equipment going right away, which was plows, graders, sanders. And then shortly after we got the sidewalk equipment um, um, going as well for clearing the sidewalks, we had about 300 crew members between city and contractor crews working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, actually starting when the storm came in on November 7th to kind of uh, exacerbate things. We got freezing rain before it snowed. Right. Yeah. So we had freezing rain. We had crews out de-icing and salting and taking care of that. Uh, Then we had some snow. Then we had a little reprieve on, on Saturday. And then the second wave really hit us Sunday night during Sunday night when we will, you know, crews were actually, uh, we, we weren't keeping up. We were losing ground Sunday night and even early Sunday morning till about noon. And then when the storm started subsiding is when we started making progress. Because in addition to the snow, of course, we had the winds. So we had drifts anywhere from three to four feet high that were blocking streets. And when we woke up Monday, um, you know, the crews had been out trying to work hard, but they just were losing ground and streets were impassable. And so that's when we made the decision to kind of on phase one, almost like a blitz out to uh, first make roads drivable, just get one lane open um, on our residential streets and on our priority streets, and then come back later and start, um, you know, clearing the roads more and start removing the uh, snow on the priority streets. That had never been done in Saskatoon before. Am I correct? That's correct. This is the first time that we've undertaken an effort like this, where we've actually done snow grading and removal on residential streets. It's the first time in the city's history that we've undertaken this type of an effort for snow removal. I remember one story. One of you was telling me this. I think it might have been you, Terry, that somebody, uh, like, and this is just one of many, many, many stories that would have been out there that day, but somebody needed to get to dialysis. Do you remember this story? I I do. That's correct. I mean, it took about a week for us to get drivability restored in all neighborhoods, you know, that small vehicles could get out, right? I mean, up until this time, it was more four by fours and high clearance. And we did get calls to our customer care center for emergencies. And I clearly remember the one time when we got a call that it had been some time and until this resident uh, needed to get out for dialysis and the streets weren't cleaned. And I was really, uh, really proud of the way the crews responded to that. They mobilized out there. That street was not on the plan for the next few days, but they mobilized the equipment out there. They, they worked with uh, MetaV and other agencies that needed to get in there to clear the road so that this resident could get out for, uh, you know, life-saving dialysis. And, and that's just one story of many, but you, you had to react uh, to uh, so many different situations. Whereas, uh, you know, for us, it's just, uh, we're thinking, oh, you just put the grader down the road and just carry on uh, that way. And, and Pamela, I remember also hearing uh, about uh, the Saskatchewan Health Authority needing the help of, of, uh, of the city graders and the like. Tell me that story. 
So when we have an, a major, you know, major emergency event like this occur, one of the things we really share out with our critical infrastructure partners and residents is you need to have a 72-hour plan. You know, you'll hear emergency managers talk about you need to have a plan for yourself for 72 hours. You need to know, you know, what you're doing. But um, and the same goes for organizations like the Saskatchewan Health Authority, and they have good plans in place for how they're going to deal with, you know, service impacts like this. But it was a few days later, and because of COVID. Um, all of the requirements for them around cleaning, around additional PPE are of course increased. And they typically have a good, you know, three to four day stock. But what had happened is the, the organization, the agency that applies, uh, supplies their um, PPE for COVID, um, their warehouse was snowed in. And they were about, I think, 10 or 12 hours away from there being an impact on services because they couldn't get these, um, this PPE into the hospitals. And so through our partnership, we have a critical infrastructure partnership here in Saskatoon, um, the SHA contacted EMO. And we, we get lots of requests for services. You know, we had a request from somebody who wanted to get to McDonald's and it's, you know, we have to look at the priorities and what is the life safety <laughs> priorities kind of thing. And um, this was definitely a life safety priority if hospitals are impacted. And so we connected with Terry and his team. And I believe I got the call from SHA about 11 o'clock and by two o'clock they'd cleared the way for that warehouse so they could get those trucks out to the hospitals. And I can't say enough about that level of services to our critical partners and to that life safety issue. It's just phenomenal service, it really was. Oh, and, uh, and to be able to react that fast when you, you, you've had all of these meetings and you've got a plan in place, but then you have to, you know, you have to digress from that plan to, mm -hmm. to, to react to something that happens like that. And I, I think both of you are probably those types of people, though, where you can uh, do that. I, I, I feel like it would be, oh, do we really want, not that you had a choice, but this is going to take us away from what uh, the other things that we were doing. Did you have that kind of thinking going on? I think we, we have a good prioritization process and we have to look on a citywide basis of, you know, what's the priority and, you know, life safety comes first and then other measures. But I think, you know, um, the reality is, you know, in Saskatoon here, we all work together really well and both at the city level, but at as a whole municipality. And, you know, you look at the way each, you know, everybody helps each other out. And I think that's almost a natural given in Saskatchewan and in Saskatoon is how do we help each other out? How do we look out for each other? And that's what we do professionally. And that's what we all do personally too. An odd but welcome sight that I saw that that very morning where there's snowmobiles going up and down McCormick. I live in Park Ridge. And there, I could hear them more than see them almost. But the uh, police were on snowmobiles too. And yeah, go ahead. Well, actually, there was a stranded motorist task force that we started out of the EOC because we realized that back into the 2007 storm, there were definitely stranded motorists. And, you know, we had been, you know, doing media conferences almost daily starting on the Wednesday before this storm, just, you know, reminding people that this was going to be a significant storm, reminding them to be prepared to, you know, have to hunker down and stay home. And, um, but of course, there were still people who had to be out and about. And so the Saskatoon Police Service, the Saskatoon Fire Department and Saskatoon Search and Rescue partnered together on a stranded motorist task force and worked with Terry and, and his team. Um, and so calls would go into the police and then they would determine how to get out there and what they would be involved. The Saskatoon Fire Department actually got four, I think four to six really impressive snow machines that were, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the tweet, but they're, they're, they're impressive. Like they were <laughs> toy everyone would want and they could get anywhere in the city. And so they assisted with those stranded motorists, but the Saskatoon Fire Department also responded to the Saskatchewan Health Authority because they were having some issues getting critical staff to the hospital. 
And so they worked to prioritize which staff had to get to the hospital. And so the fire department um, went out to some homes of some healthcare workers and picked them up and took them into the hospital. <laughs> that's, that's crazy amazing. Tell me about McDonald's. I heard you mention McDonald's. You tell me, police had to go pick somebody up to, I'll let you tell the story. Well, I'm not sure if it was police, but we definitely had somebody who, you know, again, uh, it, I think we had it reminded me I have to do a better job of talking about what is an essential trip during a storm. <laughs> and I'm not sure that going to McDonald's to try and get there before it closes so you can get your French fries and hamburger is an essential trip during a major winter event. But <laughs> we'll just have to clarify that next time. <laughs> <laughs> but that person got picked up and was ultimately saved. Safety was arranged. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Appreciate that. Terry. This was, uh, you knew this was going to be a long-term uh, battle against the snow, and, and it turned out to be a months-long uh, process. I, I think at the end of the day, we, we ended up with, uh, was it uh, close to or more than 90,000 truckloads of snow that went to our three snow facilities? I, I drive by the one by the Civic Operations Center out in the southwest corner uh, every day, and just to see that grow every single day was, was uh, amazing. But in the middle of that week, between the, the two election days, if you will, uh, there was a decision made that there was going to be, again, for the first time, uh, full residential street cleaning, curb to curb, uh, basically. Uh, that obviously was, uh, that obviously had to involve, or did it? I guess I should ask you that, Terry. Did that involve, that had to involve a decision by city council, right? Um, or did the, it not? City Council was definitely involved in the decision process, yes, and they were kept up to date. So our, our standard is that if there's uh, more than six inches of ruts on a residential street, then we will come out and we will, we will you know, make the street passable and clear the ruts. And so based on that, it was quite clear that with all this snow, we would have to come in and get snow removed to meet that standard. And being early in the year also, uh, you know, played into the decision. This was November. We've now had snow for five months. And uh, when we started grading the snow and seeing just the vast amounts of snow that were piled up in the neighborhoods, it became very clear that it was just not possible to maintain this, that amount of snow for five or six more months of the winter. If we would get another snow event, there was just no room to store any more snow also concerns when all that snow would start melting in the spring if there would be flooding and as well it was really impacting not only safety because the, the roads were uh, a lot of the residential streets was just one lane you couldn't pass uh, was difficulties with school buses going down the streets as well even with emergency vehicle access fire hydrants uh, you know were being blocked and things like that you couldn't access them because of piles of snow um, and, and as well, this, the on-street parking was impacted too significantly. It was almost reduced to, uh, to nil. So the decision was made to remove. And yet work started in uh, early December. We had uh, 17 different crews uh, removing snow in the residential streets, 15 contractor crews and two city crews. And um, that was during the days. And we actually had more equipment working during that undertaking than when we were grading the snow. We had uh, about 200 pieces of equipment and over 250 staff working during the days on snow removal. And then uh, we had three more crews working nights removing the snow on the priority streets with the snow blowers. And so you're right, 90,000 truckloads of snow were hauled to the three snow storage sites just from Saskatoon Street, which was about three times more than a typical year. Uh, that we would have. So that's incredible. Did you did the crews get better as time went on? Was the first week sloppier than the last week? That kind of thing. 
Definitely crews became more efficient as the work went on. They, they learned how to work together uh, more efficiently. And, uh, you know, for many, it was the first time undertaking this type of snow removal. Um, and so, yeah, we uh, originally we were thinking it was going to take till January 31st to have all the snow removed from the residential neighborhoods. We actually finished the week of January 10th. So it just showed how much uh, more pro productive the crews became over time. We were also fortunate we didn't get any more major snow events during that period of time. And the, other, the weather was quite favorable as well for working uh, in winter conditions. So uh, really appreciative of all the great work that the crews did. It was a real concert to get all this scheduled and done. We had to get the no parking signs out with the right amount of time and then get the crews in there to do the work and schedule and coordinate that all in a, you know, a timely manner. Some of these crews must have worked uh, very long days, but probably very many days without a break. That's correct. Uh, they were working at uh, you know seven in the seven in the morning to seven at night on the residential streets, and uh, you know then we we had to be aware of actually the labor law regulations for days of rest to make sure they got their their rest as required to uh, for safety. And and we sometimes forget that all this work was being done during a pandemic. And so all the protocols to be followed for, uh, you know, uh, physical distancing and social distancing during work and all those uh, extra cleaning that needed to be done. So they were doing all that work as well during um, having to do that during all the protocols of a pandemic as well. Wow. And I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because that's that's so true, the extra work that uh, that it takes, but also extra work for Pamela Golden McLeod because you've been the lead when it comes to dealing with the pandemic uh, in Saskatoon as well, Pam. So during those first initial days, you can't let go of that one file to deal with the other file. No, but I think, you know, everybody is working together and um we know a lot more than we did in March. If this had happened in March, 2020, I think it would have been far more challenging, um, but we've all developed a lot of expertise on the COVID safety protocols and everybody is used to them now and used to following them. So, and, um, and understands the importance of following them as well. Wow. It's just, it's so amazing to me how all of this uh, came together. Pamela, did you, did your involvement in it kind of uh, fade over the course of the first five or six days because the, the, the initial crisis, I guess, kind of ended? Yeah, EMO is typically only involved in uh, major escalating or complex situations. And so as we, you know, as it, um, we set operational periods and we set timelines and, you know, priorities. But as um, the rest of the city got back in, in place and were able to go back to some regular operations. Then we slowly, you know, remove ourselves and it goes back to those, what we would call the, the division or the department of jurisdiction. So, you know, Terry's department, now they're doing their regular operations. It's expanded regular operations, but they don't need that um, complex organizations where we're, you know, consulting with the education sector, with the airport authority, with, um, you know, um, you know, the other divisions like leisure centers making certain decisions about mm. are we closing leisure centers? And so it gets back to regular operations then and, and we fade into the background where we, we typically like to be. <laughs> Terry Schmidt, uh, when, we, when we talk about all of the, the snow clearing uh, that went on and all of the crews uh, that were involved uh, with that snow clearing, if this were to hit again now, now, and I guess this is for both of you, but Terry, I'll pose it to, to you. There must be a file now in somebody's office with a, with a good plan in place. Yes, very good comment. We uh, definitely have been documenting all the lessons learned. 
um, what went well and where we could have done better or where there were shortcomings. And so it's been a big lessons learned for uh, everybody, for the crews and for the planning. And uh, so we're documenting all that and we will be putting that together in a plan so that uh, when this occurs again, um, you know, maybe many of us that responded to this one are no, are no longer in these positions, but so that is there for, you know, the future people who are managing and, and, and uh, responding to a storm event that they can take that documented lessons learned and apply it to, to the next event. So lots of lessons learned. And um, as I mentioned, those are being documented and being brought forward for, uh, for the future. So I want to talk about lessons learned then. Let's end with that or come close to ending with that. I want to ask each of you, what was the biggest lesson that you learned? And Pamela, can I throw that at you first? That's a really good question. I'm trying to think about that. Um, you know, every time we have an activation, we look at an after action report, as Terry indicated. I think the biggest lesson learned here is, I mean, I think from an EMO perspective, I would have emphasized more for residents and for, you know, um, businesses and organizations to make your 72-hour plan. This is the perfect time. We, you know, the reality is for a storm at this event, you may be on your own for 72 hours. And so you have to be prepared. So like when we look at big hurricanes in the States, big storm events in the States, there is that expectation. And so I think I would put um, more focus on that um, in the next event so people are aware of it. And you know what? Um, Environment Climate Change Canada indicated this is a one in every 10 year event. So we definitely have to document that. Hopefully most of us are retired and moved on. <laughs> yes, I hear that. Terry, what was the big lesson that you learned? I think the biggest lesson that we learned from this is just the the importance of an event like this and uh, having, uh, you know, we took a lot of the models that Pamela uses in responding to emergencies and uh, implemented them in this storm. For for example, we put the incident, incident command structure into place right away and it's not a typical storm. So just, uh, you know, planning for this and working with staff and working with stakeholders to get all the planning done as early as you can to respond and get your structures into place for responding to the storm uh, and just really emphasizing that uh, this is you need to be nimble and flexible as well because no two storms are the same like I said sometimes you get freezing rain sometimes you get wind sometimes you get heavy snow sometimes it's light snow so just really having all those plans in place and being flexible in how you respond to a storm event. Terry, I've got one last question for you. We've got about a minute left. Do we need to worry about those three snow facilities that we have right now with so much snow? Very good question. And uh, we have sufficient space in those three, uh, three as well um, to respond to future snow events. So there is su uh, sufficient space there in case we do need to do more snow removal and storage for the rest of this year. Yeah, I got to say, it was truly incredible to watch the big pieces of machinery climb those hills. I, I, I call them hills. I would almost want to call them mountains. When, by the time they'd get to the top of those hills, they'd look like dinky toys to me. And uh, it just gave you a, such an idea of, of the expanse of, of all of that snow and the, uh, the amount of work that went into it. It, uh, it was truly Truly an amazing experiment. So thank you, Pamela Golden-McLeod, the City's Director of Emergency Management, Terry Schmidt, the City's General Manager of Transportation and Construction. Job well done. Thanks very much for all of this. Well, and you know what? Thank you to Councillor David Curtin 
who brought to us the first of Behind the Curtain with Councillor David Curtin at Saskatoon City Hall. I must say, uh, I really appreciated the fact that, guys, we not only get Pamela and Terry, not only did we get to hear from a councillor and, and bring in bring in that kind of perspective of it, but we also got to see your journalistic chops. And this is a great way to exercise your journalistic chops and give us a peek as the, as the public behind the scenes, literally, into some of the operational aspects of, of, of what goes on in the city that a lot of people don't know about. I don't think too many people know all the facts, you know, Terry Schmidt, that you shared in terms of, of what, what went on with the snow event of 2020. So, and Pamela, you know, always a pleasure to have you on Civically Speaking um, and sharing your expertise when it comes to emergency management and that, because I think that is something that a lot of people also, you know, don't understand until it happens. And so here's to nothing happening for a very, very long time and to March being an awesome uh, season. So thanks again to everybody for joining Civically Speaking. Uh, here I am the host, um, um, Lenora Swiston, and with me today was David Curtin uh, doing what David Curtin does best, which is journalism, and now his next best being a city councillor. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you.